Welcome to the Monthly Ideas Exchange podcast, brought to you by ASX, the heart of Australia's financial markets. Each month, we'll connect you to a range of leading industry experts who'll give you a look into the finance industry and deliver valuable insights. Hear about important market events, industry research, tips for your own market research, as well as innovative products to help you diversify your investment portfolio. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ideas Exchange podcast. Over the last decade, the video games and esports industry has been on the rise and been gathering a lot of pace as a result of advances in technology. Today, the video games and esports industry is a multi-million dollar industry that is transforming entertainment, sports, and media. In today's episode, I'll be joined by Damon Gosson, Director of Business Development at Vanek Australia as we learn more about the video game and esports industry and what options are available for investors looking to capture the performance of this industry. So a fun episode lined up. Come join Damon and me as we dive into the world of video games and esports. Hi, Damon. It's, uh, it's great to have you here today, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me, Martin. So in today's episode, we'll be covering the video gaming and esports industry for those that are not too familiar with esports, it essentially describes the world of competitive, organized video gaming, where competitors from different teams or leagues face off each other with these competitions often being watched by millions of fans all over the world. In Australia, uh, the video gaming and esports industry has been a hot topic amongst investors over the last 12 months with the Vanek Vectors Video Gaming and Esports ETF attracting over $100 million in assets since it first launched in September 2020 and becoming one of the fastest growing ETFs over the last 12 months. Damon, for me personally, I love video games and watching esports, but I've never really turned my mind to the investment case for this industry. So I guess a great place to start, Damon, is to understand what type of companies operate in the esports and video gaming industry. You know, um, Martin, we get that feedback a lot, man. It's, so it, it's awesome to have the chat today to kind of get everyone across that um, because it's such an exciting space. And it's quite broad as well. So when you actually look at industry sectors within video gaming and esports, you've got the creators of the video games, so like Activision's and Tencent, so they develop and publish games. You've actually got, on the esports side, professional esports teams these days. So it's like franchise fees to, to league owners and corporate sponsorships as well. You've got the venues, so stadiums, which is pretty crazy to think about, the streaming services like YouTube and Twitch TV. They're obviously the actual tech companies as well. So the hardware and software that's actually sitting behind these types of businesses. So it's such a, such a broad area, media companies for licensing rights as, as well. So it is a massive area and it's a massive growth area. Yeah. It's, I think the, the level of diversity in terms of what type of companies and businesses that operate in this industry is a lot more diverse than that I would have thought of. So that was great to know. So, Damon, with the advancement in mobile and internet technology, how has the video gaming and esports industry evolved over time? That's been the key to it, really, is the advancement in mobile tech and, and internet technology. So, like the, the first video game companies, really, and arcades struggled for a long time to actually get their business models right because when you think about it, what they found hard was once they'd made a sale, to actually continually create income and repeat business from those customers was difficult to, to come by. So if you kind of think of that uh, evolution over many, many decades there, you kind of pong like, like being released in 1972 and just two players hitting a pixelated ball back and forth, forth Atari. They brought out a, a home version of Pong in 1975. Then you had video game system in the, in the late 70s and 
Nintendo in the mid-80s with the Nintendo Entertainment System as, as well. So I guess that type of era, era, video games were still a part of life. Video games were a big part of a lot of families globally, but the repeat business was very difficult. So I guess as technology has improved, so with the development and proliferation of video games, that's kind of mirrored the actual dawn of the internet. And so a long incubation period there, followed by explosive growth once those businesses are able to leverage that that technology. And so you've seen PC gaming, you've seen mobile gaming as a big part of it now in more recent times, the actual rise of, of esports. Yeah, it's. I remember when I first bought my Nintendo uh, video gaming system 15 years ago, and then seeing how much that has evolved over 20 years now, I'm oh, sorry, over 15 years now to the, the Nintendo Wii, which had the, you know, do you remember the motion sensor remote, you know, where you could interact with the characters and, and the events. And then a couple of years later, they introduced the Switch, which was like a handheld gaming device and had amazing graphics. And you could also watch videos on there. So it's just amazing to see how much the video gaming and, and esports industry has evolved as a result of the advancement in, in technology. And, and I was wondering, Damon, how big exactly is the video gaming and esports industry right now? It's staggering. Globally, there are 3 billion gamers. So that number sounds big enough, but when you put it in context of things that people are familiar with. So Netflix has got 200 million subscribers. There's one and a half billion people with, with Apple devices and two billion Facebook users. So that's a huge number, three billion active gamers out there. The actual esports from an audience perspective, it's now surpassed half a billion. So the, the video gaming industry is actually bigger than the entire video and music industry um, combined now. And it's been actually growing for a long time. So like, I guess when, when you think of the scenario, we're, we're here recording a podcast. It looks to me like you're in your home office in lockdown in Sydney and I'm, I'm actually at my home office as, as well. So uh, it gets put to us a fair bit. Well, the type of environment we've had post-COVID has really benefited the industry. And to some extent, that's the case. Like the, the spike in video gaming during the COVID-19 pandemic does has certainly occurred. There's really entrenched a trend that's been underway for a long time. So th those numbers haven't just come about in the last 15 months or so. There's been 12% per annum revenue growth for video gaming as an industry since 2015. Esports revenue has tripled over the last three years. It's grown 28% per annum since 2015. Crowd numbers are growing enormously. The amount of revenue per person actually watching has grown enormously since 2014 as well. So yes, the COVID environment has been positive. For, it sounds terrible to say, but from a business perspective for video gaming and esports, it's, it has been a tailwind, but it really is a long-term structural growth story, which which has been transforming entertainment, sport and media for many years now. But it's incre really incredible to hear. I, I did not realize that the number of video game users exceeded the number of subscribers on Netflix. And, and also Facebook as well. That's absolutely mind-blowing. And you, you mentioned something quite interesting about, about eSports. Do you know how that compares in terms of viewership when we look at traditional spectator sports? Is it bigger than the, than the NBA or the NRL and the AFL? Do, do, you know, do you have numbers behind that? Yeah, so to kind of put the numbers there in some sort of context because it's, it's, it's huge already, but it's also the fastest-growing sport. There, there's crowds that rival, say, World Cup football, the Olympics, that the actual audience for esports is bigger than the NFL in, in the States. So well, it's really bigger than the rugby league and AFL. Uh, I'm not sure what type of multiple over the uh, rugby league and AFL it would be, but it would be many times. And there's a lot of stats saying that a, a lot of younger people, younger gamers are actually watching more esports than actual traditional sports as, as well. So 
yeah, it's a, it's a huge industry. As you can probably start to tell, I am a video gaming nerd and I watch a lot of esports. <laughs> e- e- and you mentioned about COVID, about us being locked down and that being a drive of growth in, in terms of the number of people watching esports. I concur with that. Uh, I mean, being stuck in my home and I'm so accustomed to watching the basketball, the NRL, AFL, I love my sports, but when that got cancelled, there was nothing to watch. So I'd, funnily enough, I'd turned to, to esports. I was watching um, a StarCraft tournament, a League of Legends <laughs> tournament. I don't even play some of those games. It was just entertaining to watch. So yeah, it's been really, really wild to see in terms of how many people actually tune in to, to esports in comparison to traditional spectator sports. I was wondering, you mentioned some of the, the revenue the, the revenue numbers of some of the companies that operate in the video gaming and esports industry. How do these companies generate money? What are some of the revenue streams for these companies? Well, if, 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 if I'll, I'll break it into video gaming and then cover the esports. On the video gaming side, it's about $180 billion of revenue in, in 2020, US dollars revenue. So a huge spot. But it's quite diverse. So there's smartphone games, which actually is the biggest chunk. I kind of put that in the context of 10 or 15 years ago, no one had a smartphone. And now all of a sudden, 40% of revenue in video game is via smartphone games. It's pretty amazing, really. You've got the downloaded or box PC game thing component, tablet games, consoles, browser PC games as well. So that's there's a variety of, of revenue streams there on the video gaming side. With esports, the breakup looks very much like well, traditional sports in terms of the supply chain or the value chain there in that a component, there's the media rights, there's publisher fees, there's merchandise or tickets, there's, there's streaming uh, income sources as, as well. So you've got a really broad revenue split, whether you're looking at esports or video games. You talk about revenue for, for video gaming and how much revenue smartphone gaming takes. You know what I realize? Uh, so I play a game on my mobile phone. It's called uh, Clash of Clans. Big fan of it. It's been around for a while. I have hundreds of millions of users. It's actually free of charge. They don't charge anything for the games. You know, and, and as far as I know, most of the smartphone games don't charge anything. So where does this revenue come from? There's certain in-game purchases that, that are there on smartphones. There's certain games that um, allow to improve the experience by paying a subscription fee to get get some there. There's advertising that's with, within it as well. That's probably embedded in some of the some of the games. So. The free games get people in and then the the, the, re- the revenue comes from the add-on extras, really. Yeah, so I, I Googled the term. It was called a microtransaction enthusiast, and that's exactly <laughs> what I am. <laughs> so I, I've, uh, I, I'm guilty of that. I reckon I spend probably $50 a year on my Clash of Clans account, which is pretty interesting, right? Like when you think about some of the video games in the early days, it was a – you play it once – well, you played a couple of times, but it only lasts about six months. This game that I've been playing on my mobile phone, I've been playing it for over five to six years. I think I'm pretty sure they've got me for life. Yeah. <laughs> I'll probably be spending fifty dollars a year every year, uh, and they've just got me on these microtransactions. I know sometimes it sounds silly, and I can buy like virtual items and etc. Um, using real money, but you know it, it is addictive, and it's, and it's a lot of fun and a, and a lot of uh, great entertainment. So it's pretty interesting to see. In terms of the revenue, how that's that's changed, right? Like instead of having a single transaction game, you, you pretty much just have a free of charge game and then you just buy in purchases in the game, right? It's pretty yeah, wild. Exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. So Damon, you know, you've given us a great overview of the esports and video gaming industry. So I wanted to chat a bit more about an ETF that you had listed on the ASX mm-hmm. that can provide investors with access to companies involved in the video gaming and esports industry, namely the Vanek Vectors Video Gaming Esports ETF, which we talked about before, and it's under the ASX ticker ESPO. So could you give us a quick rundown of the investment strategy of ESPO? Yeah, sure. So 
Espo is our yeah, Vectors, Video Gaming and Esports ETF. I loved your intro in terms of it's up over 100 mil. It only listed in September last year. I think it is our fastest growing or our fastest growing fund to $100 million that we've, we've had, which has been an amazing uptake. We've, we've got it offshore. We've had it in the US and Europe for three years now and have about $3 billion globally linked to that, that same strategy. And so really what, what the fund provides exposure to is it's a pure play way of getting access to the video gaming and esports thematic and by pure play i think that's that's really important in that it excludes certain companies so microsoft with the xbox sony with the playstation they're they're not included that's a relatively small part of their overall revenue picture so to be eligible for inclusion in espo you have to derive 50 percent of your revenues from the video gaming and esports industry so it's really targeted it's, it's a very targeted exposure at those stocks that are deriving their, their bread and butter is video gaming and esports so it's the largest and most liquid companies that meet that brief and so it's about it's about 25 stocks it really is all about it's this dynamic growth opportunity like I've, I've kind of set the scene with the kind of numbers behind it the growth rates there these are the companies that are position to benefit from that increasing popularity uh, as well and have got an amazing kind of growth trajectory that they're on. The other part to it is from a diversification perspective, it's actually a technology strategy. So it's a a technology-based thematic that is a diversifier away from the mega cap tech stocks that everyone owns in their portfolios as as well so really that's the that's the key to espo it's a broadly diversified exposure to this very targeted thematic so hypothetically though if i did invest in an etf that invested in technology companies and using examples such as uh, the beta shares nasdaq 100 etf wouldn't there still be some overlap between this particular etf and espo in terms of the holdings there, there'd be some overlap but very limited and then this is part of our business ethos as well. So then when we get asked, what do we do? Well, it's all about accessing the opportunities. And a, a great example here is this is an asset class that we think, an investment thing that we think makes a lot of sense, but is typically um, very underrepresented in portfolios. So if you t- took a NASDAQ 100, like you, like you mentioned, there's less than 5% exposure to this thematic in, in that. But so... Contrast that with so less than 5% to video gaming and esports and all the benefits and, and, and growth in that sector versus close to half of it is in the things and Microsoft. So when, when someone says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the NASDAQ 100, I've got really diversified exposure to 100 growing tech businesses, we turn around and say, well, you, is it really that diversified if half a dozen stocks make up close to 50% of, of that holding, um, such as being the dominance of those mega cap companies in in recent years you, you broaden it out to a standard type of international exposure like a msci world x australia and you're looking at less than one percent exposure on a look through basis to this thematic in there so that's kind of i guess that the case as to why we think it's actually a standalone discrete offering in a in a portfolio as it actually does provide some very strong technology thematic but away from those mega cap tech names some good points there yeah, very interesting. I'm sure you get that question all, all the time. But yeah, I think what it also shows is that just because you look at the name of the ETF, they may seem similar, but what they actually hold could be entirely very different, right? So I think it really emphasizes that to make sure that you know if you have an, uh, a view on a particular area of the market, make sure you understand what's inside that particular ETF and is it giving you the exposure that you really want? And you mentioned already, like it's less than a 1% overlap over the MISCI, I believe, yeah, and right. 5% for the NASDAQ. 
100 ETF by beta shares. So um, some good lessons there. And for me, like when I think about the video gaming and esports industry, you know, I love it and it's pretty clear I'm addicted to it, but I've never really thought about it as an area where I should be investing into. So I was curious, like what was the driving factor behind bringing Espo to market? It was as I, as I kind of said, in, in this, in the sense of we try and bring to market opportunities for investors that we, we think make a lot of sense, but a lot of the time are underrepresented. And if you look at, if, if someone was to peruse our product set, they'd see that, like we've got China A shares, global infrastructure, emerging market bonds, Aussie mid cap stocks. These have been big parts of our, of our business and, and, and where we're focused on. Not to say that everyone should have all of their money in those areas, but recognizing that most investors have got close to zero, if not zero as well. And, and, Espo is another great example of that being here is an investment strategy that we think has a lot of very solid fundamentals sitting behind it and a long-term structural thematic. But if you look at the average portfolio, not many people have had much exposure to it. And so that re- that was really the, the driving force behind why we brought it to, to market. The, the other piece probably to, to add as well, and I, I mentioned that so while we've had Espo on ASX since September last year, that's been really successful here. We've had it uh, in the US and, and Europe for about three years and we have about $3 billion funds under management in that fund. That one of the interesting things that your listeners might like to hear is a big part of that investor base has been institutional clients. In the vicinity of 40 or 50% of that in investor base has been institutional clients that have decided we really like this story of video gaming and esports from an investment perspective, but we want a liquid, efficient, transparent way of actually buying that exposure. And I've actually adopted an ETF in the form of ESPO as a way to get that exposure. So that kind of underpins a broader investment strategy when you actually see institutional clients recognizing how positive that trend is. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I, in terms of the type of clientele that were buying into Espo in the, in the US being mostly institutional, when I think of a product like Espo, you would think it's a thematic, it has an exciting story. This is probably something where you have people like me, <laughs> uh, young 30s, maybe uh, yeah. millennials, Gen Zs flocking into, but it's great to see uh, or great to hear that institutional investors are buying into this area. And you're right. I mean, the ETF wrapper is just a great way to get exposure to a particular area of the market as well. Um, instead yeah. of having to buy the individual individual companies, you can take a view on uh, the direction of the market, right? That's right. And it has been such a broad investor base as well. So everyone from yourself, as you described, the, the younger clientels that really understand that so individual investors, we've had financial advisors, stockbrokers. I've had some feedback from clients of ours where retiree clients bought it and had some familiarity with, with video gaming in the form of watching how much time and money their grandchildren were spending on, on that day even going, well, wow, okay, that can make some sense to us there, but through to the institutional investors as well. So it's been, it's really a broad investor base across that strategy. Yeah, I mean, if the institutional investors had an idea of what went in my life and how much time I spent on video games, yeah, <laughs> I can see why they like that particular area. <laughs> and personal question for you, what's your favorite company in Espo and why? I'm going to nominate Nintendo. I'm, I'm here representing Van Eck. We're a fund manager. We spend all of our days looking at clever charts and ratios and fundamentals and talking about all these awesome investment trends. But to me, to me, Nintendo 
it's a little stroll down memory lane. I can remember being given as a when I was seven years old a Nintendo, the original Nintendo Entertainment System. So the kind of block shaped device, you push the cartridge in, push it down. Every second use, you'd have to kind of blow the dust off the cartridge as well. I've still got that actually in, in the cupboard, and I I, would, I just reminisce about that sometimes. And I'd love to get dusted off and uh, put it up on the big screen now. And so. I think I really respect that company in the, in the sense of it's built this loyal brand relationships there 30 something years on. That's still who I think about when I think of uh, video gaming. And I know it's it, clearly, I know that there's a lot more out there than Nintendo, but it's, it's one company that I think has uh, really said that stood the test of time, really innovated as well. And often also, the one other thing I, I would add with Nintendo in a, in a world where investors are increasingly focused on sustainable or ESG. Nintendo seems to be a company that's doing the, the, the right thing in that they're creating games that are typically fun for everyone to play. There's not as much, not, not really the violence in games. Uh, they've, they've developed something to keep older people fit and healthy as well with the Wii. So some of those things I think I really kind of respect about that, that company. So yeah, less, less about the, the investment fundamentals and more about the feel good factor for me. It's all about the feel good. And Nintendo is also my favorite company in, in Expo. <laughs> as you can, as you can tell, I've been a lifelong gamer using yeah. the Nintendo. Uh, video gaming system from you know, from the first video game back in the 1980s to the Wii and now to the Switch and I don't think I'll be changing. <laughs> and just before we wrap it up, for, for those investors looking to get a bit more information on uh, the video gaming and esports industry, uh, where can they turn to? First place to look, take a look on our website, vanek.com.au. You will find enormous amounts of information. You'll see the flyers which talk you through the broader thematic actual white papers, so research papers on the whole in um, asset classes as well. See all the holdings. There's no shortage of information there and people are uh, certainly able to reach out to us and get more information. We're huge advocates of advice as well. So speak to a financial advisor, speak to a stockbroker as well. But yeah, learn about it. Understand what sits under the hood. And this is, this is less of an ESPO comment and more of a broad comment in terms of guidance and understand what sits under the hood of uh, of all of your investments, whether it's an ETF or, or something else and how it can actually fit in your, your portfolio. Well, Damon, uh, that wraps up this month's episode. It's been pretty fun. A lot of fun talking about one of my favorite areas in the market. I uh, wanted to thank you for sharing your insights into the rapidly growing video game and esports industry. Enjoyed our conversation and we look forward to you, look forward to bringing you back down on the road. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Martin. Well, that concludes today's episode. It was a fun episode learning about the rapid rise of the video gaming and esports industry and why investors may consider positioning their portfolio to capture the performance of a growing industry. In next month's episode, I'll be joined by Ying Peng Chu, Director of Strategy at Qualitas, as we chat about a new kind of opportunity beyond shares, fixed income, and traditional investments, namely opportunities in the commercial real estate debt market. Until then, thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us next month. Want to test market strategies? Sign up to play the ASX share market game and receive $50,000 in virtual cash to invest in a range of stocks and ETFs. Visit asx.com.au smg to sign up today. 
ASX Limited ABN 9800862491 and its related bodies corporate, ASX, makes content available for podcast, content, and the content may be downloaded on these conditions. ASX grants a non-exclusive licence to download the content for private and non-commercial use only. You may not use the content for any other purpose, including without limitation distribution to a third party or implying a connection between you or any third party and ASX, its officers, employees or contractors. The views, opinions or recommendations of the author or speaker in the content are solely those of the author or speaker and do not in any way reflect the views, opinions, recommendations of ASX. The content is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to include or constitute financial product advice. You should obtain independent advice from an Australian Financial Services licensee before making any investment decisions. ASX does not give any representation or warranty with respect to the accuracy, reliability, completeness or currency of the content. To the extent permitted by law, ASX and its employees, officers and contractors are not liable for any loss or damage arising in any way, including by way of negligence, from or in connection with any information provided or omitted or from anyone acting or refraining to act in reliance on this information. 